Last week I presented you with the questions that you must answer at each stage of your life. And we looked at the next to normal wisdom that leads toward living a life where at the end you have no regrets. Today we're here for what you must do to succeed in love and life. We all want to be successful in love and life, but we often don't know what the map looks like to get us there. Sometimes we think the map is called financial security. We have a plan for every contingency, but that doesn't guarantee love and life success. Sometimes we think the map is called personal autonomy, the freedom to do whatever we want when we want to do whatever we want. But that doesn't guarantee love and life success either. Sometimes we think the map is called faith in God. We read the Bible and participate in Christian growth activities. But that doesn't guarantee love and life success either. Let me illustrate the problem. So I came home Friday night from Nicaragua, got up at 4 a.m., got to the airport by about 5.30 in the morning, traveled through Houston, came into Norfolk, got home about 6 p.m., so it was a long day of traveling. I come into the house, I'm home, and I hear these words that you don't want to hear when you come home, but yet they're there sometimes hanging in the air just waiting for you to receive them. And the words were, you smell really bad. <laughs> I smell really bad. I don't, I don't smell anything. You Believe me, you smell really bad. Well, maybe it's my luggage. Maybe, maybe that's it. I'll put that out in the garage. I put the, the luggage out in the garage. I came back in the house. I saw her sniffing. You smell really bad. I ran upstairs to try to fix it. I took a shower. I, I got all clean. I put my, my favorite cologne on. I came downstairs. I saw her backing away slowly toward the door. You still smell really bad. And that's the problem. We don't know how we smell. This is not a theological issue here. It's just we don't know how we smell. But other people do. And you can't be successful in life unless you know what other people know. And so a day went by, and I, every once in a while I would look in her direction, and I would see her sniffing, <laughs> sniffing the air to see if, if I still smelled. And she would give me little hints. I said, it's, the, it's impossible. I've taken two showers. I've changed my clothes. Everything is outside. It's impossible. And then last night she admits it. She goes, ah, I think it was Bodie. He's been, he's been having some problems lately, and, and I think it was him. Well, thanks a lot. You know, my self-esteem was shot for two days. But the truth is still evident. We don't know parts of our own lives. We need to know those parts of our lives if we are going to be successful. Let me define success. Success is investing in healthy relationships, investing, moving forward, reaching goals, not letting things stop you, keep moving forward, not getting stuck, not repeating mistakes, in control of your life, which basically means not letting other people control your life, and then grounded in purpose, a life grounded in purpose. This is where faith and life come together, where we connect in a relevant and meaningful way with God. 
But this is all a process. You don't ever arrive. Success is moving toward these things. But you can be more consistent. And the higher your level of consistency, the more you will feel at peace and settled inside. Let me put a biblical frame of reference around this morning's talk. Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds. For riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. Proverbs 27, 24. And you say, well, I don't have flocks, and I don't have herds. What are you even saying here? I'm saying the operative word is be sure you know. Those are the important words. Be sure you know. Be sure you know where your life is coming from. Be sure you know and are careful with what is, is, is there that you're deriving your life from. Because if you put your hope in things that are going to pass away, your hope will be dashed at some point. Your life will hit a wall at some point. Riches do not endure forever. A crown is not secure for all generations. Just because you're a leader now doesn't mean you'll be a leader later. Just because you have a good job now doesn't necessarily mean you'll have a good job later. You see, it's important, it's very important to take a hard look at where your life really comes from. Be careful not to let yourself be lulled to sleep by what appears to glimmer but doesn't last or can be gone in just a moment. And one more verse to begin with. The pleasantness of one's friend springs from his earnest counsel. It's almost like that doesn't go together. Pleasantness, it's, it's a nice thing, a, a feel-good thing. Earnest counsel can be kind of tough love, but the pleasantness of one's friend springs from his, his earnest counsel. Proverbs 27, 9. I want to be that friend to you today. I would like to give you earnest counsel. I would like this to be about tough love and and explaining to you what really makes life work, where you really need to go and move into so that you will have a successful life. There's lots of information today. There's too much information today for you to absorb in one sitting. And so let me encourage you to get the notes from the website. Let me encourage you to listen to this message again because there will be pieces here and pieces there that you will need to to evaluate and mull over in the days and weeks that are to come. Let me begin. One day, Christian psychologist Henry Cloud had a realization of epic proportions. He discovered that there were people who had lives that worked, people who seemed to move ahead no matter what happened to them. Bad things happened, they moved ahead. Good things happened, they were still moving. He decided to find out why. In the beginning of his book, Nine Things You Simply Must Do, Cloud writes, after looking at these people over and over again, it was clear to me that they got these principles from different places, family, mentors, therapy, seeking, spiritual awakening, disaster, and so on. There was no consistent pattern for acquiring them that I could put my teeth into. But that said something even greater than if I had found a special history they all shared. Since there was nothing in common about these people's backgrounds, these patterns of success do not reside in any one type of person. Thus, they exist on their own and are available to all of us. If you were not born with these patterns in place, you can learn them. My belief is that once you do, your life, life will never be the same. 
Let me give you next to normal success principle number one. Dig it up. Dig it up. The wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of fools is deception. Proverbs 14, 8. You see, to give thought to your life is one of the most important things you can do. To sit down and really think, what is it that I need to dig out of my life? What is it that's really going on deep down inside where my life really comes from? Giving thought to your ways, to what's going on inside of you, makes you a wise person. But if you just want to float through life, you will deceive yourself. You will deny, you'll be in denial. Somebody might tell you something and you'll go, oh, that's really not true. I know where I'm going. I know what my life is all about. But to dig it up, you must get down to the reality of your life. And there's two parts of dig it up. Number one, dig up what is really inside of you so you can live the life you were supposed to live. Dig up what's inside of you so you can really live the life God always wanted for you to live. Families are great places to lose your life in someone else's expectation for your life. You can't succeed by living an agenda you didn't write. Your agenda, your personal agenda, must always reflect your heart, mind, and soul. Your heart is the passion that you bring to something. Your mind is your capacity, your giftedness, something that, that you are able to understand and do, something that really flows out of your being. And your soul is that connection to God's will in your life. It's what did God create you for? What did God uniquely design you for that only you can accomplish? When you have an agenda that is reflecting your heart, your mind, and your soul, you are beginning to really dig out and live your real life. If it was up to my family, I would not be here today. There was nothing in my family background that indicated anything like this was available to me. There were lots of other options. I could have gone into business, and, and, and business is great. I could have gone into different ways of, of wholesaling foods and, and other kinds of things uh, in the marketplace, and that was okay. I could have been uh, a general manager of some big company, and, and that would have been okay too. I could have started my own little business, and that would have been good. My family was only geared up to understand business and how you live a life through business. Nothing would point me in this direction at all. And so I was never pointed in, a, in this direction. The only way I got here was realizing that every time somebody told me what they wanted me to do, it never really made sense down here on the inside. There was nothing in me that was really connecting to that. I had lots of opportunities. I, I engaged in lots of, of business ventures within my family, but nothing really spoke to my heart. But after digging and digging and digging and trying to figure out, God, what in the world did you put inside of me? One day, God said, well, I think you're starting to know, Michael. I've put something in your heart. I've put something in your mind. I've put something in your soul. And all of a sudden, ministry and teaching and engaging people became the passion of my life. It became what I understood God had had geared me up to do, it became his will for my life. But that would not have happened if I waited for somebody to give that to me. I had to dig 
that out of my life. So you have to dig up what is really inside of you so you can live the life you were supposed to live. Second, dig up the messy stuff. Dig up the messy stuff. Cloud writes, what you dig out of your heart will be a mixture of both good and bad. Dreams, talents, pains, and also ugly stuff like resentment or hatred will all reside there. Both the good stuff and the bad can be scary. The dreams can call you to take a risk. The ugly stuff can shatter your nice picture of yourself. But both are you. You are human. And God loves all of you, regardless of the good or bad, the divine or ugly. So what's your job when it comes to digging up all that stuff that sometimes is messy? Your job is to dig it all up and sow it or throw it. And I like the way he puts that. Sow it or throw it. It's easy to remember. I'm going to dig this stuff out of my life, and I'm either going to find something good and invest it in things that are good, or I'm going to dig something out of my life that isn't good, and I'm going to throw it away. I'm going to get rid of it. Throwing it out may require you to process it, mourn it, heal it, repent of it, or whatever it takes to work it out of your system. But if you are to be successful in love and life, you must be a person who digs it out. You must dig out who you are. You must dig out all the good and all the bad and decide to sow it or throw it. Because the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways. But the folly of fools is deception. Next to normal success principle number two. The cringe factor is talking. Ever have one of those moments when you just don't feel right about something, someone, or an important decision you have to make? Ever gone ahead and jumped into the something, someone, or make the decision to go ahead? The rest of the story is usually the stuff of late night sessions of woe with your best friend, or the beginning of losing sleep or money. What happened? The cringe factor was talking but you weren't listening. You know what the best way is to fix a problem? The best way to fix a problem is not to have it to begin with. That's it. And that's why you have to listen when the cringe factor talks. Let me take you through the university of cringe. This, this doesn't feel quite right. I don't feel comfortable doing this. I don't feel comfortable agreeing to this. This is not what I really want. This violates one of my core values. I wish this were not happening. I could deal with a possible negative outcome for a long time if I go through with this. But what happens is we don't listen to the cringe. Then we move ahead. We move into the relationship, and the cringe is saying, no, don't go there. We move into the business deal, and the cringe is saying, no, you don't want to do business with that person. They're smiling right now, but you know that there's a, there's a history there. There's a lot of baggage there. We move ahead with some kind of a, a crazy plan for our lives that just really doesn't make any sense, and even our best friends are telling us it doesn't make any sense, and we go ahead anyway. We don't listen to the cringe, and it unravels us. Let me give you two cringe verses to go with. A prudent man 
sees danger and takes refuge. If you're a smart person, you will listen to the cringe and you won't go there. But the simple keep going and suffer for it. Some people just keep on going right on through the cringe. They miss all the cringe stop signs and then they wonder why they end up off the road. A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. When you have a heart that is clear and good because you've listened to the cringe factor talking, uh, you're going to be okay. But when you didn't listen and you just run ahead and, and do what you're not supposed to do and get in the deal you're not supposed to be in and get in the relationship you're not supposed to be in, you are just dried up on the inside and you feel crushed. It just doesn't work. If you want to be successful, you must listen when the cringe factor is talking. Next to normal success, principle number three, make the relational move. Make the relational move. You know how it feels. You know how it feels. It feels like you're living in a dead-end street. There is nowhere to go. You're relationally frustrated. What do you do? How do you get out of that? Let's take a look at the moves that you might need to make, and then you pick the one that's yours. You pick the one that you need to walk out of here today with and use. It's your move. Go and apologize. Just go and apologize. You know you were wrong. You can't hide anymore. Everybody else knows you were wrong too. Just go and apologize. Please don't jab the person next to you during this part of the message. Go and apologize. Go and confront. See, now you want to do the jabbing. Go and confront. Go and say, please help me understand how you did this or why you said this. Go to just listen and try to understand how the other person was hurt. It's one of the greatest gifts that we can give to somebody just to listen to what they want to say without trying to answer, without trying to rebut it. Make the wrong right. Just go back and make it right. Get feedback on how you need to change, and we all need to change. Go after wise counsel. Don't just wait for wise counsel to show up. Don't just pray and say, oh, God, bring me some wise counsel. Find somebody who's wise. Go after that person. Ask them to sit down with you and ask them the questions that will help you understand how to move towards success in love and life. Stop enabling negative behavior. Stop it. Somebody keeps doing the wrong things over and over again. They keep bringing negative behavior into your life, into relationships, and, and you're enabling it. You're letting it happen. Stop it. Say the last 2%. We used to say around here, say the last 10%. But then we all got down to the last 2%, which is a much better place to be, really. Because the last 2% is just say how you really feel. Just say how you're really hurting. Just say what you really want me to know. Because that's the only place where, where real change can come from relationally. You know, we usually say the last 2% to everybody else but the person we need to say the last 2% to. Look at your dating history for patterns you need to resolve. Good day and God bless you.
Look at your dating history for patterns you need to resolve. Chances are you're just going through the same stuff over and over again, wondering why this doesn't seem to work. Make the 100% move toward God. You know what the truth is? The truth is that most of us are living 50% faith and life together lives, 80% faith and life together lives, 98% faith and life together lives. And a 98% faith and life together life is 2% short. 2% short of what God is asking for. The only thing that really works is a, is a 100% move toward God. And it's, it's really a strategic and significant spiritual moment when you realize that and you, you close that gap. And you go, God, I'm not going to do 75% anymore. I'm not going to do 92% anymore. I'm doing 100%. I might even do 110%, but that's where I'm going to live with you. On Thursday night at the orphanage, there was a worship service that was put on by the kids of the orphanage. Then they asked me if I would speak to these kids. Now, here's 60, 70 kids at this orphanage out in rural Nicaragua. And, and, and you, you want a daunting challenge. You try talking to to 60 kids that are either displaced kids or kids that their parents had to give them up because they couldn't afford to take care of them or, or full-fledged orphans that don't have moms or, or dads, you know, and then you're, you're there to, to give them the talk. Uh, I thought of a few things that I could say, but I think the most important thing that I said to them that night are based upon a story from my own life. I invited Jesus Christ into my life 39 years ago this this February. And uh, I asked him to, to go ahead and change my life um, if he wanted to do that. Go ahead. So I was sort of doing God a big favor, right? Uh, yeah, go ahead. If you can do something, go ahead. And, you know, and I wasn't, I didn't understand 100% commitment at that point. It was six months later when I went to a Christian conference that they pounded on the idea of a 100% commitment. And they pounded on it long enough and hard enough that one night I realized, you know, I didn't make a 100% commitment to this thing. And I made it that night. And I told those kids that the most important thing you could do is make a 100% commitment to Jesus Christ. And then I told them this, that I will always be here for you because we need to be there for these kids. That's how Christ is lived out in their lives, that there's a tangible human face upon Jesus. And that face looks like you and it looks like me, but it still calls them to 100% commitment because it really, the truth is, it doesn't matter if you're sitting here this morning. It doesn't matter if you're living at an orphanage in Nicaragua. Every one of us, every person on the planet has to make a 100% commitment or you'll find yourself hitting a wall somewhere. At some point, your life is not going to work if you want to do 90%. It's not going to work if you want to do 99%. It never works if you want to do 50%. So make the 100% move toward God. Next to normal success principle, number four, don't play defense. Now, this isn't true if you're in the playoffs. Uh, you know, and, but none of you, uh, to my best of my knowledge, none of you are in the playoffs, so you can handle this. Don't play defense. Cloud notes. Successful people know their weaknesses. 
They know where they are not good. They see where they have done it wrong, and they admit those things. Regarding their imperfections, these people do at least two things very well that build success, foster good relationships, and encourage learning, growth, and wisdom. Well, I want to know what those two things are, and here they are. They admit it quickly when they are wrong, and they receive correction and confrontation from others well. If you are willing to embrace those two things, admit quickly when you're wrong, receive correction and confrontation well, be open and honest, let correction and confrontation be a gift from other people, you are squarely on your way to being successful in love and life because very few people, very few people want to go there. People don't want to play defense. They want to play defense. They want to get in your face. They want to refute what you're trying to say about them. Let me give you some don't play defense verses. Proverbs 19.8. He who gets wisdom loves his own soul. He who cherishes understanding prospers. 19.20. Listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you will be wise. Proverbs 17, 10. A rebuke impresses a man of discernment more than a hundred lashes a fool. I love that picture. A rebuke. Hey, you are wrong, and I'm calling you on it. That impresses someone who has discernment about life, who really wants to be successful. The next time somebody says, you're wrong, don't play defense. Stand back and take a look at it. Look at the other side of it. More than 100 lashes a fool. You can beat on some people till the cows come home, and they never change because they're foolish about, about their lives. And in this verse that I gave you several years ago, and I just, I just love it, so I had to bring it back this morning. An honest answer is like a kiss on the lips. An honest answer is warm. An honest answer is real. It's honest. It's trying to get close to you. It's trying to, to help you. It's just trying to bring you somewhere good. Don't play defense. Admit it quickly when you're wrong. Receive correction and confrontation from others well. It will change your life. Now, if you integrate those four principles into your life, you can be successful and have a good life. However, to have a great life, you must add one more principle. It is the most challenging principle of success, but it will show you who you really are in the end. Are you ready? Next to normal principle number five, shed some blood. And so I was playing the baseball game at the orphanage the other day. It was Tuesday afternoon. The sun was out, and I hadn't played a sandlot baseball game in a long time. It was on a makeshift little field. First base was just some, some chalk scratched on a sidewalk. Second base was an old piece of cardboard, just like when I was a kid. Third base was a place where a bush used to be, and now there was just a dirt spot. Home plate was a rock wall. So you had to be careful sliding into the, to the rock wall and getting home there. So it was a little 
a little tricky. So, you know, I was a pitcher, and we went back and forth and back and forth, and it was a, it was a really good game, and we finally got down to the last inning. And we were ahead four runs, and I got two outs on the opposition, and then my nemesis came up. He's a kid from Williamsburg. He's the, uh, the senior pastor's assistant up there. He's the intern, and he's tall, and he's strong. He had that look in his eyes. There were two men on base. He had, had his look on, on his eyes that he was going for the long ball. He was going to make this, this a, a real short you know, time that we were ahead, and, and they were, they were going to try to launch ahead in this last inning. But I was determined. I had two outs, and this guy wasn't going to take me now. So I got two strikes on him, and then I had to pull out my secret weapon. I had to throw him what I throw at people when I want to just shake him up I want him to just pack up and go home. It was time for the Cuban palm ball. I learned this when I was a kid. I learned it from a pitcher in the major leagues. His name was Luis Arroyo, and he used to throw the Cuban palm ball. I perfected it playing wiffle ball in my backyard, and basically I had to, I had to adapt it for softball. You just take the softball, hand down like this. And that's, that's the easy part of it. You just hold like this. But here's where it really gets exciting. You just look at the person. And you announce it. And I said to this kid, I said, I'm going to throw the Cuban palm ball. That's the intimidation part. I'm going to throw the Cuban <laughs> palm ball, and you are going down. But then it gets even better. You take a step like this, and then it's like this. It's like this. <laughs> I'm going to do that again in slow motion for those of you who missed it the first time. Right? It's, it's like this. And the ball goes spinning backwards, and it kind of flutters a little bit, and it goes up high in the air, about 10 or 12 feet in the air, and then it comes down and it starts to, to move a little bit. Well, I said, I'm going to throw the cube palm ball, and I threw it up in the air, and it was spinning, and it started to come down. And he took this big swing like he was going for the fences, and he hit it, but it just dribbled down the first baseline. I knew I had to make the play. I went over, I grabbed the ball. He was coming right at me. He went left. I went right. He went right. I went left. And, and he's about 25 years old, and so he had all the moves, and I'm about 35 years old, and I've been, I've been, I lied in church. I shouldn't do that. And I don't have many moves left. And so, so when he zigged and I zagged, I fell flat on my back. So I'm now laying on the field. He's sprinting towards first base. There's a kid, Stanley, on first base. And I had the presence of mind to grab the ball out of the glove. And I just sort of pushed it like a shot put. And it just kind of went up, up, up. And Stanley grabbed it. And we got him and we won the game. But here... Here's the most important part. And what I was most proud of. I looked down at my arm and it was bleeding. I shed blood to win the game. It's always better when you shed blood. And we were then visiting a church uh, that was in, in town, in this little town called, called Veracruz. And we're in this church, and we went out back, and the pastor showed us this courtyard area where there was this cement wall that had been built. It had been built by students from the Williamsburg Community Chapel. And as they were telling the story about it, turns out that a kid, while they were trying to clear the ground so they could build this wall, he was using a machete, and he just did one too many machete chops, and wham, he hit himself in the arm. Had to go to the hospital. He shed blood to build that wall, which is now where they have Sunday school, which is now where they can have a protected area out in back of the church. And so while I was there, the pastor of the Williamsburg Community Chapel went up against the wall, put his hand on the wall, called the kid in Williamsburg. The senior pastor calls this high school kid and goes, hey, I just want you to know I'm standing here with my hand on the wall where you 
shed blood. And you could tell it was a moment in that kid's life that he would get that phone call. You see, nothing ever really happens that's great unless somebody's willing to shed blood. Nothing happens that's really great unless somebody's willing to go the extra mile to, to, to do what nobody else wants to do, to give what nobody else wants to give. We're at the garbage dump and so much sadness there, so much brokenness. Like I said, I just, I just wanted it to go away. It didn't make any sense at all. And in the middle of that situation, that didn't make any sense at all. There was a pastor. His name is Ramon. And he's there with his wife. Her name is Miriam. And they've established a church right on the outskirts of this garbage dump where they can take care of the children of the people who live in the dump so that these families who live amidst garbage can then maybe go into the city of Managua and get better jobs so that they don't have to just, just comb the trash for recyclables all day long. What, what are we doing today? We're looking for, for plastic. What are we doing tomorrow? We're looking for plastic. What are we doing next week? We're looking for plastic. I looked at this couple, the sincerity of their hearts, the smiles on their faces. Who would want to be called to build a church on the outskirts of a garbage dump? Ramon and Miriam raised their hands. They said, we'll shed blood for that. That's what we'll do. And they did that because one day, a woman who was out combing the trash to just make a living, carrying her baby with her, had to put the baby down. And to protect the baby, she put the baby under a box. And a truck came through the trash. There was no more baby. And they said, we can't let this happen anymore. Somebody has to give their lives for something here. And they could have stayed doing something else. But there was a part of them that said, no, we can't stay doing anything else. Blood always gets attention, you know. It got God's attention long ago. And it still gets his attention today. And if you're a Christian, at the end of your life, for it to have been successful, you will need to know the places where you shed blood dig it up the cringe factor is talking make the relational move don't play defense shed some blood these are the principles that integrated into your life will not just give you a good life but they will give you a great life Last night, as I was finishing up this message, a letter showed up, and it was written to you. Dear friends, life is complicated. It didn't start out that way. I didn't intend it to be that way. But your choice for making up the rules made it all so tangled and bumpy. There are still those sublime moments when everything seems to work out fine and your, your team wins and you feel loved and grace wins the day. I know them well. They are all what you call serendipity and what I call the way I always wanted your lives to be all the time. 
But the tangled days and bumpy relationships can take their toll on your mind and heart. Therefore, be diligent to follow the principles that serve as a heavenly toolkit to straighten warped dreams, tighten potential wrong moves, and secure hanging by a thread relationships. When you dig up some of the messy stuff that accumulated over the years, you give the next generation a chance to grow. When you feel the cringe in your stomach, it's really me saying, hold on there just a minute and we can stave off a lot of agony. When you make the bold relational move, I'm proud of you for doing what was hard but right. And by not being defensive, you give me a chance to speak into your life through the view I've given to others. My work of reshaping you is the restorative function of my nature. I delight in bringing hope out of hell-bent death. Life isn't what I do, it's who I am. Finally, the shedding of some blood is necessary. To be clear, it's not necessary at all for you to know me and live forever. Jesus paid the full ransom for you on that hill long ago. Through receiving him, you are gifted with forgiveness and life. What is necessary is that you shed some blood, figuratively speaking, so that you know you've given your entire life to me, so that you will see me at work in the world through you. It is for yourself that I allow you to do this. You will feel a mysterious connection to me when your life imitates mine. You will sacrifice because I sacrificed. You will sweat because I sweat. You will serve long into the night because I served you long into the night. In your unreserved giving of yourself, you will go far beyond any success the world offers. Live for me, and I will live in you. I made you for my heart. I made you for love and life. Success is us, God. Dear Heavenly Father, we are so humble just to know you and that you would call us to serve you by being your hands and your feet in the world today is, is unbelievable. Father, help us to do more and more to reach out in a love and with a love that truly changes the world, that changes people's lives, that brings hope where there is hopelessness, that brings light where there is darkness that brings love and grace where there is agony, where there is death, where there is darkness. Oh, Heavenly Father, in all these things, allow us to dig up what needs to be dug up. Allow us to, to think through the cringe factor moments and make the right decisions. Heavenly Father, allow us to find success in you and through you. Give us great lives. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Is it the face of a child? Is it the thrill of danger? Is it the kindness we see in the eyes of a stranger? Is it more than faith? Is it more than hope? Is it waiting for us at the end of our road? And 
Yeah. 